are in Ezekiel chapter 12. And if you remember last time, Ezekiel was taken in the spirit to Jerusalem and delivered a bunch of very dire prophecies. And at the end of that, at the end of chapter 11, he was returned to the exiles in Babylon. So this next set of prophecies occurs in Babylon by the river Kebar. So we'll start in chapter 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. We've talked about this lots of times before, just by way of fast review. If you read Isaiah chapter 29, he describes the process of exile. In Isaiah 29, the process of exile is that God removes your prophets and your seers, which he calls your eyes and your ears. And when he removes your prophets and seers, he then closes the book. And at the end of chapter 29 of Isaiah, the process is reversed. He opens the book and he restores prophets and seers. These people are in exile at this point. So what I'm suggesting is being said here is they have eyes but do not see and ears that do not hear that their eyes and ears have in fact been closed as they went into exile. There's another interpretation for this, which is also correct. Psalm 115 talks about idols. And idols are described as having eyes that do not see, ears that do not hear, hands that do not handle. In other words, all of the five senses the idols have representations of, but none of them actually work. And in that psalm it says that those that worship the idols become like them. So another way to interpret eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear is that people who fall into idolatry lose their normal spiritual senses. They don't see and they don't hear anymore. You can look at it either way. They're in exile so their eyes are closed and their ears are closed or they are idolatrous and so they have become like the idols they worship. Either one of them works and they're both correct. Verse 3. As for you, son of man, prepare for yourself an exile's baggage and go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile. You shall go out by yourself at evening in their sight as those who must go into exile. In their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. In their sight, you shall lift the baggage up on your shoulder and carry it out at dusk. You shall cover your face that you may not see the land, for I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. They're going to go ahead and explain what all this means in just a minute. The place you're going to want to be and put your thumb there because we'll go there in a minute, is 2 Kings 25. So continuing to read. And I did as I was commanded. I brought out my baggage by day as baggage for exile. In the evening I dug through the wall with my own hands, brought out my baggage at dusk, carrying it on my shoulder in their sight. Verse 8. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, this oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are in it. A parenthetical pause here. This is between the two exiles to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar came down, 
took a bunch of hostages, put Jerusalem under tribute so that they became a vassal state, if you will, of Babylon. And they were required to send tribute to Babylon periodically, and they were required to be loyal citizens of Babylon and so forth. And as surety, he took a number of hostages. So there were three exiles out of Babylon. This thing with Ezekiel is written before the final exile out of Babylon. So what you have is lots and lots of Jews, and I'm using the word Jews correctly here, they are mostly the house of Judah, because the northern kingdom got sanded off about 125 years earlier. So what's left in Israel now is (coughs) primarily Judah with some Levi and some Benjamin, and some smatterings from other tribes. There was obviously movement back and forth between the northern and southern kingdom, and that's also in scripture. So there were representatives of all the tribes there, but it's primarily Judah. So these are Jews. It's interesting that he talks about the house, uh, the prince of Jerusalem and the house of Israel who are in it. Because remember, in lots and lots of places in the prophets, it makes a distinction between Israel and Judah. So it's important to understand he's going to call them Israel in this prophecy, but he is talking about Judah. And of course, that's fine, first because he's God and he gets to do that, but also because Judah is in fact part of Israel. But in prophecy, the terms Judah and Israel are used differently depending on situations. Often Israel is the northern ten tribes, Judah is the southern. In this case, Israel is the whole nation, and it's specifically talking about the remnant, which is mostly Judah, which is in the land. Verse 10. Say to them, Thus says the Lord, This oracle concerns the prince of Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are in it. Say, I am a sign for you, as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. So what he's doing is he is acting out what's going to happen. And now God is explaining what the little acting sequence means. 12. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He shall cover his face, that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it. And he shall die there. And I will scatter toward every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops, and I will unsheath the sword after them. And they shall know that I am the Lord, when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. We've talked about this lots. God says when he makes a covenant with Israel, your reason for existing is to glorify me. Now, better for all concerned, if you glorify me because you are obedient to me and I just bless your socks off. And everybody's going to be able to look at my nation Israel and how they're blessed and how they're prosperous and how they're wealthy and all those kinds of things. And they're going to say, wow, look what God has done for those people. That's the way we all want it to go. However, if you decide not to obey me and you go into idolatry and fall into violence, what's going to happen is I'm going to send you into exile. And you are going to glorify me in exile. And the way you're going to do that is starting here you will declare all their abominations among the nations where they go. So as they go into exile, they are going to explain to everybody where they go why they're in exile. And they have done that. Have they not? 
Have they not carried their sacred books into exile? Is not Christianity, which is spread throughout all the world, simply the history of this people and what God has done with them? Sure is. So what they have done is literally fulfilled this prophecy by going into exile and taking their sacred books with them and establishing synagogues all over the world where they have been scattered and people have come into those synagogues and they have learned the history of the Hebrew people and they have learned about God and they have learned why they are in exile. And so in doing that, they have glorified God. Furthermore, they have been kept as a people for 2,000 years in exile. There is no other people in the world that has had that happen to them. So their very existence in all of the world is testimony to the preservation that God has done with them. So again, they are glorifying him in exile. Nobody wants it that way. God didn't want it that way. They certainly didn't want it that way. But God says, we're either going to glorify you by blessing you because you're obedient, or we're going to glorify me by your witness in exile. That's what this prophecy is saying. So now we're ready to swing over to 2 Kings 25.1. And this is the historical record of Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, by the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, this is the ninth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. Remember, he has Ezekiel dig a hole through a wall and carry his baggage out through a hole in the wall. So the prophecy is now fulfilled as history. And the next thing that happens is God says he will cast his net over them, right? Five, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him on the plains of Jericho. All the army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. What's happening is Nebuchadnezzar is on a campaign, and Jerusalem is simply one of the side battles that's going on in this campaign. Jerusalem is not the main event. Jerusalem has gone into rebellion, so while Nebuchadnezzar is on this campaign, oh, we'll go down there and take care of this rebellious city while we're at it. What happens is the king is captured down here in Jericho and is carried all the way up here to Riblah, which is on the Orontes River, in order to show up in front of Nebuchadnezzar because that's where his campaign headquarters is. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. So what they're doing is they are cutting off his royal lineage. Put out the eyes of Zedekiah. In other words, they blinded him. Typically what they would do is they'd heat up a sword blade and slap it across your eyes. Bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. So he goes to Babylon, but he has his eyes covered, just like the prophet says. 
He goes to Babylon, but he does not see it. So the prophecy is fulfilled exactly. Grim stuff. Verse 17. I'm back in Ezekiel now. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink water with trembling and with anxiety, and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink water in dismay. In this way their land will be stripped of all it contains on account of the violence of all those who dwell in it. So what is the proximate cause of God finally lowering the boom? Violence. He is very long-suffering. I mean, they've been in idolatry for hundreds of years. And as you read the stories of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, you'll go into idolatry and, and all sorts of stuff, and then you get a righteous king that'll rise up. And he'll say, whoa! And he'll go through and clean the place out, and everything will be fine for 20 or 30 years. And then right back into idolatry. So Israel has been an idolatry for a long time. That is not what caused God finally to move. The problem is idolatry leads to other things. And once you go into idolatry and once you lose your moorings with God, anything becomes possible. That's why we have the stuff going on in this country today. That's why they're trying to mainstream homosexuality. That's why they have, have mainstreamed abortion is what they're trying to do is cut us loose from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then anything becomes permissible. And the final bottom of that spiral becomes violence, injustice, bloodshed. And at that point, God finally moves. What did God judge the people of the flood for? Violence. What did God judge Sodom for? Violence. And we'll see that later on in Ezekiel. So there are cities that are not Hebrews that descend into violence that God finally judges. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? Violence. And the people of Nineveh repented and were granted a hundred year reprieve. Then they sent the prophet Nahum when they had sunk back down into violence. Nahum couldn't turn them around. So Nineveh finally got sanded off for violence. We're talking about Israel now, which is a special case. Israel is God's chosen people. And Israel are going to glorify God one way or the other. Israel goes into exile, but they still get preserved as a people. Gentiles who go down this spiral of violence do not necessarily get sent into exile. They just get sanded off. Because remember, that's what God said to Israel when they get ready to cross the Jericho under Joshua, right? What does he say? Kill everything that breathes. Do not take prisoners. Do not leave women and children. Kill everything that breathes, is what God says when you're going into the land of Canaan. So the Canaanites and the other tribes that are there do not get this exile business. They just get sanded off flat. The only reason the Jews or the Hebrews get exile is because they are God's people. And God has made an oath. And he says, you guys are going to glorify me until the end. So in order for that to happen, you've got to continue to exist. You can either continue to exist in blessing and plenty, which is the way I want it, or you can continue to exist in exile, fear, and deprivation. But either way, you're going to continue to exist. You can't get unchosen. On we go. 21. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel, saying, 
The days grow long and every vision comes to nothing. What's it mean? We have had prophets and prophets and prophets and they've all stood up and prophesied doom and it's never happened. So it ain't going to happen. Sounds like the scoffers at the end of the age. In Peter, he says at the end of the age, scoffers will come. Second Peter 3.3 3. Beloved, I now write you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Does that sound like what has just been described about Jerusalem? walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter is now writing from post-resurrection. And you have people coming into the church saying, Yeah, 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 you keep telling us he's coming back, but nothing changes. And Peter is writing within, what, 50 years after the crucifixion? So within that very short period of time, you have this attitude that crops up again. Yeah, 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 we've heard the prophets, we've heard they all say this, but nothing ever happens. And so what God is saying in Ezekiel is, stand by, that's fixing to change. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are near, and the fulfillment of every vision. For there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. I will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord of God. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. In other words, these are in time events he's talking about, right? This is way out in the future somewhere. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. So now we go on to 13. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. They have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Wherever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. So what he's talking about is prophecy is big business. It was big business then. It is big business now. And what you have is prophets that are saying what the audience wants to hear. And they are saying, thus saith the Lord. And God is saying, I didn't say that. And the other thing about this is what do these kinds of prophets sow? Confusion. They sow confusion. And i got to tell you, boys and girls, that the messianic movement is really, really subject to this. You get a teacher that's got some new twist, and boy, everybody just 
goes to him like moths to a flame. Says, Ooh, you got to hear this guy. He's got some new twist on this. Ooh. And we're very susceptible to that because we take the scripture seriously. And we spend a lot of time studying it. So if you get somebody that's got a new insight, oh man, I want to hear that. And what most of them do is sow confusion. And, you know, you get into a church where they say, well, that isn't just exactly like what so-and-so said. Well, they must not have it right. And you get all puffed up because you've got, you think, some special little piece of knowledge that nobody has. And you can raise your hand during the Bible study and, and appear to be the smartest one in the room. I'm not discouraging questions, by the way. I am not. But what I'm saying is, they had people with itching ears back then. In fact, I was listening to Christian radio, and I love Christian radio because they always arrange it for me. And one of the things that, that this guy said, which I had never thought of this way, Yeshua is the only prophet that continually tried to decrease his flock. He'd go along and he'd all of a sudden collect a bunch of people in his wake, and he'd turn around and say something, and about three-quarters of them would say, Ugh and walk off. Remember the place where he says you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh? And you had about two-thirds of them go, Ugh, and turn around and walk off? He's the only prophet that I know of that continually tried to decrease his own flock. I thought that was really kind of a good insight. What God is talking about here is you have got a thriving business of prophecy going on in Jerusalem. And these people are not, in fact, prophets of God. But they're making great money off of prophecy. Verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the counsel of my people nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. That's pretty stiff. What he's basically doing is drumming them out of the court. God gets really upset with shepherds who mislead his flock. If you undertake to teach the word of God, you ought to stick to what the word of God says and not roll your own. I take this very seriously. That's why I'm very careful when I teach to say, this is Johnnyology, which is to say, this is what I think about it. But that doesn't mean that that's what God thinks about it. And it's real important to make that distinction. Because I sit here and wave my arms and sound real good and all that kind of stuff. And I can lead people astray. And I don't want to do that. So when I have an opinion about something that's, that is that, my opinion, I try and make it very clear that I am giving my own opinion here and leaving it to you to study the scriptures yourself and make up your own mind. Verse 10. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people built a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. All right, so what's going on there? What the sense of it is, you have somebody, a king or whatever, that comes to one of these prophets and wants to do something. So the prophet says, oh yeah, what you want to do is really good. God will bless it. So what happens is somebody builds a wall and the prophet whitewashes it. In other words, somebody comes to the prophet wanting to do something, not physically build a wall, but do something. 
So the prophet then says, oh yeah, God will bless this. God's with you, my son, or whatever they used. And so this person then goes off and does this thing. The metaphor is builds a wall, stacks up the rocks in his edifice. The prophet then whitewashes it and makes it look good. So what the prophet is saying here is you guys are whitewashing walls that are structurally unsound. 11. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wind falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? In other words, where's the whitewash? So what he's saying is, not only are you doing bad, but my perfect justice is going to sweep through the land and all of these people who are depending upon your opinion for their actions are going to be swept away because the things that they are doing are wrong according to my standards and the fact that you have whitewashed it will not be a defense for them. What he's saying is that people in good faith go to these prophets and say, I want to do this. Prophet says, cool, send me a donation. And so they rely on the word of the prophet to do this thing. And what God is saying here is the people who relied on this false prophets are going to fall because what they are doing is objectively wrong by God's standards. And the whitewash is not going to save them. There's tremendous judgment against the prophets who are leading the people astray, but the people who are led astray are not safe either. But their punishment is not anywhere near as bad as the prophets is. This kind of stuff has been going on ever since there have been people. People who want to do something that they know in their hearts is shady go to a corrupt man of God and get an opinion that justifies what they want to do so that they can then do it and have A, a clear conscience, and B, be able to stand up before people and say, all I'm doing is what God said to do. The carbon credit business that the environmentalists are doing, same thing. They're indulgences. It's a religion. Verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground, so that its foundations will be laid bare. And that, by the way, is the crux of it. What you have is a whitewashed wall on top of a bad foundation. So what he's doing is he is laying the foundation bare so everybody can see that the foundation is not sound. And the wall that you then built up on it and so carefully covered with a whitewash of justification will not stand. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus I will spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord. He is specifically talking about those prophets who are feeding <coughs> false prophecies to the leaders in Jerusalem. 17. And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own minds. Prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. What are we talking about here? Witches. 
We call it New Age now. We call it Wicca. All sorts of things that it's called, but these are witches. Women who dabble in the occult. Verse 19, you have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for a piece of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. There's a very definite sexual distinction in the kinds of magical perversion that people engage in. It's all perverse, don't get me wrong, but I think this very interesting and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to destroy the soul. 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have against your magic bands, with which you hunt the souls like birds, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall be no more in your hand as prey, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved them, and you have encouraged the wicked, that he did not turn from his evil way to save his life. In other words, we're talking about seduction here. Not necessarily sexual, but spiritual, and the two are often mixed. In other words, if you get involved with a woman like this as a man, the attraction is often initially sexual, but where it goes from there is to destruction. And for the young men that we've been studying Proverbs with in Yeshiva, that's what Proverbs says. This could be straight out of Proverbs, but now it's God saying it. Verse 23, Therefore you shall no more see false visions or practice divinations. I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 14, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? He's saying, I'm not going to talk to them. In other words, I'm not going to give them answers to their questions. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Who are these people? Elders of Israel in exile. And what he's saying is they have taken their idols with them and they're going to come to you as a prophet and inquire of me and I'm not going to be inquired of. And in fact, what I'm going to do is reach out and grab them by the stacking swivel. Six, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. <laughs> That's pretty strong stuff. Verse 8, And I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. 
if you are an idol worshiper and you come to the prophets of God seeking information from a prophet, seeking a prophecy, God himself will deal with you and it will not be pleasant. Don't mix the occult with the divine. If you are into the occult, stay away from the prophets of God. Verse 9. And if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I the Lord have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of the people of Israel. And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike, that the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord. The end of this is so that Israel will be his people. It's it, it eventually restorative. But notice what he says. If you get one of these idolaters who comes to a prophet to get a vision, and the prophet he comes to is one of these prophets we've been talking about before, I'll give that prophet a prophecy, and it isn't going to be anything that's going to be useful to anybody because I'm fixing to destroy them both. And pick up here next time. Let us show